0: If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. Today we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into rabies. We talked a little bit about it earlier with Dr. Barland regarding puppy vaccines and kitten vaccines, but I'm joined by Dr. Jess Torak, who is going to dive in and give us a deeper look into this disease and why it's so important, not just here in the United States, but internationally as it affects both pets and people. Welcome Dr. Torak. Thank you. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background and kind of how you became a veterinarian, what your interests are, and how this particular topic affects you?
1: Absolutely. So I was raised in North Dakota, a pretty small town, and my brain said I want to be a marine biologist, and so I decided to join the Navy. So I spent three years in the Navy, and I made my way to Lafayette, Indiana, and was accepted to vet school at Purdue. I was a 2008 grad and then did an internship at Purdue postdoc. I moved to Chicago in 2012 to take a medical director position of a five-doctor corporate practice. So I worked there for about three years, and then I wanted to open my own practice, but they wouldn't renegotiate my non-compete. So I did some house call practice for a couple of years while I looked for a location and got financing and things together, but I wanted to do something to give back to the world before I opened a business because I knew that once I opened this business, my time would be very committed and I wouldn't be able to take two or three weeks away to go do some philanthropic work. And so I was introduced to a group called Mission Rabies, which is a wonderful group. And so I joined them in Arusha, Tanzania to administer rabies vaccines to pets in that area. There are a large number of children that are still infected and die from rabies in developing countries every day. And I knew I'd be gone for at least those three weeks. So I got everything together and I set out to help eradicate rabies as my way of sort of getting back to the world. That trip ended up taking some wild turns, but we'll tell you about that near death experience in another episode.
0: I'm looking forward to our listeners being able to hear the story that you have to tell about your trip to Tanzania, not only about your experience with the people there but also with your own personal health experience. And so if our listeners want to take a moment to just hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts there wherever you listen to, your vet wants you to know. Dr. Torak will be telling us all about what happened during her time in Tanzania. And you're celebrating a pretty important anniversary this month, is that correct?
1: We are. So my practice has officially been open for five years. It was really fun. On Wednesday last week, my practice manager and I celebrated our official anniversary because she and I were there before clients came in. And so we sang a little duet to its anniversary during our morning (laughs) rounds, just to kind of lighten everybody up and get the day started.
0: (laughs) That's great. Congratulations. What a lot of hard work and a big effort that you've been through to make it this far. So I want to talk a little bit about your experience with rabies and in particular, any pet that comes to mind when you think about the importance of rabies vaccinations.
1: Yeah, so the example that I chose for today is one of many, but just sort of, you know, what people don't really expect to be part of a daily life with a veterinarian. In 2018, about a year after we opened the practice, a good Samaritan brought in a stray cat that had been struck by a vehicle somewhere near Lakeshore Drive in downtown Chicago. And a Chicago vet had seen it and taken radiographs, x-rays, and noted that the cat had a fractured pelvis. So this good Samaritan found us for a consultation for pelvic fracture repair. This kitty's name was St. Patrick because she found him on St. Patty's Day. He was That's cute. A, yeah, he was a little Siamese looking guy, but he was really, really ouchy, right? I mean, anytime we touched him, he'd kind of shift a little bit. You could just tell his pupils would dilate. He was just really uncomfortable. So we had him maintain on oral narcotic. And after that, I was able to do his physical exam. And I took off the e-collar that he was wearing, right? So that Elizabethan collar to prevent him from like licking or biting himself. And we finished his physical exam. And then I went to reposition him to put him back in his cage. And I must have just moved him slightly the wrong way. He just became acutely painful and reactively bit me, right? I mean, of course, it's not unusual for a painful animal to defend themselves that way. Mm -hmm. He pierced almost full thickness through my left ring finger. And (sighs) I was anxious because I'm like, okay, well, now this cat's a stray. We have no idea what his vaccine status is. Had he had any prior rabies exposure while he was wandering the streets of Chicago? I mean, we've got rats and all kinds of wildlife that sort of infiltrate the city. I was lucky enough to have been fully vaccinated for rabies while I was in vet school, which is pretty common, I think, for most of us. And then as a requirement for participation to my trip with Mission Rabies to Tanzania, they requested and required an adequate rabies titer, meaning to make certain that I had protective antibodies against rabies since we were going to be working in a rabies endemic area. So a year before I got this cat bite from a stray cat, even though I probably still had adequate antibodies, I knew that post-exposure prophylaxis was still indicated because we didn't know the animal's history.
0: I think that's one thing that people don't realize is that, you know, we get our pets vaccinated for rabies, but as veterinary professionals, we have to be vaccinated against rabies as well because of the risk of things like this, like a cat bite.
1: Right. And I remember the rabies vaccinations for us, which I did mine in 2009, was a series of three and they were very Mm -hmm. specifically timed and they just sort of had everybody in our class filter through at the same time and get our inoculations. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew though that I needed to get a rabies vaccine booster for post exposure prophylaxis. Right. And according to the CDC website, I was supposed to get that booster within 24 hours of exposure. So after the cat bit me, I ended up going to a local urgent care because cat bites frequently get infected. And I do a lot of surgery. I knew my hands are super important. It was interesting to me that this medical doctor did not have any familiarity with what was required for human post-exposure prophylaxis for rabies, right? So he treated the wound and said, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I said, well, I think I, need, I think I need a rabies booster. Do you guys have rabies vaccines here? And he says, no, we don't. So then I spent several hours on the phone calling various pharmacies and clinics, even like vaccine clinics that specialize in getting you prepped to travel outside the country. And I did eventually find one local pharmacy. Now, keep in mind, I'm in the suburbs of Chicago, so it's not like I'm in some remote area. So it was very, it was difficult to locate. And when I got to the pharmacy to receive my vaccination, I was informed that the particular brand that they happened to carry wasn't covered by my insurance and would cost me about $500. <laughs> right. Thanks. So the pharmacy technician asked me, you know, did you still want to get the shot today? And of course, she didn't know my situation. And I'm on my head, like panicking. I'm thinking like, I'll pay $500 to not die from rabies. (laughs) You bet I still (laughs) want the shot today. Right? It had already been 14 hours and it took me so long to find one. I didn't have time to start calling around to try to find another. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, luckily I'm a business owner. And so I could sort of reimburse myself that cost out of my business account. But for an average person, I imagine that would be pretty expensive, especially considering that if you're not already vaccinated for rabies, the post-exposure prophylaxis can be anywhere from four to eight injections. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
1: you know, if you multiply that times 500, that's quite expensive.
0: You mentioned that it doesn't get covered by insurance. And I had that same experience when I was starting vet school. The veterinary school didn't offer the rabies vaccine. So we had to get that done before starting school on our own. And I was living in the suburbs of New York City at the time, and I was like, I don't know where to get this. My regular primary care physician did not have it. And so I had to find someone... I think it was like 30 or 40 minutes away from me in New Jersey, just a a random family practice that happened to be able to get it for me. But the same thing, the insurance didn't cover it. It was a series of three injections and they were $600 each. So I waited a lot of extra tables to be able to be protected against rabies. But the urgent care doctor did not know that post exposure prophylaxis was really important. And so for pet owners that are listening, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you've been bitten by, an animal who you don't know their rabies vaccine status, it's really important for you to advocate for yourself and let them know, hey, there's a risk that I might have been exposed to rabies. I need some help being able to get those injections so that you don't die. I mean, that's something that we're going to talk about here. This is a fatal, fatal disease. So you know, we spend a lot of time learning about rabies in veterinary school, but for pet owners listening today, can you give them a brief description of what exactly rabies is?
1: Absolutely. So rabies is a fatal zoonotic infection that targets the central nervous system, so brain, spinal cord, nervous tissue. Zoonotic means the infection is passed from animals to humans. It's present in animal saliva. It's most commonly transmitted by an animal bite.
0: And when you say it's present in animal saliva, what animals are at risk for rabies? Are there some animals who are at an increased risk?
1: Absolutely. So the one rule of thumb that we can always remember is only mammals can get rabies. So we don't see rabies in birds, lizards, or other non-mammal species. Wild animals can be carriers of rabies. So if you think about things that might be cruising through your backyard, a raccoon, skunk, possum, coyote, deer, fox, one of the major sources of exposure to humans are bats. So mm-hmm. you know, if you've got a bat in your attic or there's a bat in your house, know that it's really a good idea to not try to capture it but to call animal control to come out and capture that animal for you but get out of that space close doors trap the bat into a single room if you can but get out of that room if anybody in your family is bitten by a bat you definitely want animal control to come and get that animal because they're going to test the bat for rabies specifically to coincide with your post-exposure prophylaxis.
0: I think that's one thing that's hard as well because sometimes those bat bites are so small that people Mm -hmm. may not even realize that that's happened. So if you find yourself in a situation where you wake up and there's a bat in your house and you've been sleeping in the same room that that bat has been flying around, there's the potential that you've been bitten while you've been sleeping and you just don't know about it. So having that post exposure prophylaxis is really helpful if there's any concern that that animal may be infected with rabies.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then we also have domestic pets, the animals that we are more commonly in contact with, dogs and cats, horses, cows and rabbits, right? So any of those mammals that we would keep as pets can certainly be carriers for rabies as well. And since we humans are also mammals, we are also susceptible to rabies infections.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, if an animal has become infected with rabies, what signs might they show?
1: Well, it's really similar to a lot of other disease processes, right? So you get a fever, maybe a little headache, kind of lethargic, kind of weak, body aches. You might just think that you maybe have a cold or the flu, or nowadays we might think we have COVID-19. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, as that disease advances, it does begin to attack the brain and can lead to what's referred to as mad dog behavior. So when you think about like the movie Old Yeller, right, the dogs get really agitated, they're barking a lot excessive drooling. They may not have appropriate mentation. They look a little bit confused. They're aggressive, right? They're just, they're kind of out of their minds. They don't really know what they're doing. And so the challenge is, is that it's a really deadly disease. And if it's untreated, it leads to death in a matter of days after those symptoms first appear. So even though it may initially seem kind of just like a cold or a flu, as it progresses without that post-exposure prophylaxis, it begins to affect that central nervous system more intensely.
0: I remember watching videos in our public health courses in veterinary school of places in Africa where there are people more often that develop rabies. And it is awful. I mean, this is a heartbreaking, fatal, awful disease. And so if this is something that there's any risk of being exposed to, we want these people to be treated right away. And if we have suspicion for rabies in pets, how would this be definitively diagnosed?
1: So it's different the way we diagnose things in animals versus people. In animals, rabies diagnoses can only be made post-mortem, meaning after they've died or or they're deceased. So in order to definitively diagnose rabies in an animal, we need actual brain tissue samples. And ideally, we get samples from two different parts of the brain, the brainstem and the cerebellum. So the test itself only takes a couple of hours to run, but it takes time to physically prepare the samples, right? Depending on where they're going, whether they a public health lab or a veterinary diagnostic lab, if it's going to a veterinary diagnostic lab, we send it in and that skull is disassembled and the brain tissue is removed and tested. But most of those results take 24 to 72 hours after the specimen has been collected because it has to be shipped and prepped and read by a pathologist. 72 hours is still pretty quick. Post-exposure prophylaxis can be started at that point or any point after exposure. So any time a human has been bitten, we want to make sure that we get that testing done as quickly as possible.
0: So it may be a good idea to get that first post-exposure prophylaxis vaccine Mm -hmm. done. But after the testing is submitted and read, they may not need the additional five to seven injections if it comes back negative for rabies.
1: Correct. Diagnosis in humans is pretty different. We actually check saliva, blood, spinal fluid, and then skin biopsies, including hair follicles at the nape of your neck. Serum and spinal fluid are tested for antibodies. So that's basically our body's natural immune response. When that viral particle is recognized, it makes antibodies to the virus. And the skin biopsy specimens actually look for rabies antigen, which is a physical protein that's part of the virus itself and it can be located at the base of the hair follicles to see if the viral inclusions are actually present in those hair follicles, which is kind of frightening to me to think that somebody could take a piece of my skin and find rabies living in the hair follicles.
0: So what can pet owners do to help protect their pets against rabies? And if they've come in contact with a potentially infected animal, like a bat in their home, what can they do at that point?
1: So the very best way to prevent your pet from getting rabies is to vaccinate your pet. It is amazing. It's an almost 100% survival rate reported in animals that have been appropriately vaccinated. So we know through years of data collection that most pets vaccinated after 16 weeks of age, now we're talking about dogs and cats here, with a single rabies inoculation, will maintain an adequate antibody level of about a year following that vaccination. So if your puppy or kitten is vaccinated when they're about four months old, In a year and four months, they would get an additional booster, right? And so that second booster when they're about a year and four months old will generally keep them with an adequate titer or antibody level for an additional three years. So vaccination is extremely effective.
0: So if your pet has been exposed to rabies, what would be the next steps that the pet owner should take?
1: Sure. So if they've been exposed to rabies and they're currently vaccinated, They should be vaccinated again immediately or as soon as practically possible, just like we do for a human who's already vaccinated, right? You get a single booster. They need to be kept under the owner's control. Then we call that a rabies observation for 45 days. And that means if they're under owner's control, they shouldn't be venturing out into the general public, right? Shouldn't be going to dog parks, doggy daycare, boarding facilities, pet stores. They should really be kept only in the owner's immediate property. Now, if an animal is overdue for rabies vaccination booster, if you have documentation that they've ever had a rabies vaccine before, same kind of deal, single inoculation for post-exposure and 45 days of observation. If that animal has never had a rabies vaccine or it's not been documented or it's lapsed in its timeframe, right? Say you were supposed to get it two or three months ago. Some municipalities require that your pet be held for 10 days in quarantine with a veterinary exam each day to determine whether or not any signs of rabies are emerging. And that's a pretty costly expenditure.
0: Yeah, 10 days of hospitalization and observation definitely can add up. But it's also an emotional cost as well, wondering what's going to happen with my animal over these 10 days. Are they going to get sick? Are they going to be okay? So it's just so easy to vaccinate and prevent against this fatal, deadly disease. Are there some animals that are at an increased risk based on their environment and what situations they're in?
1: Sure. So as we talked earlier, mammals of any kind are at risk, but animals at an increased risk would be those who have routine exposure to wildlife, especially if they're not vaccinated. So it's part of the reason there's so much endemic rabies in the area where I was in Tanzania. The living situation there is just very different from ours they don't really have clearly delineated property barriers. So there are property lines and those are often visually present, but there aren't physical barriers between properties such as a fence or a road. As a result, a lot of animals wander between various households throughout the day. So like your friend's dog down the street, they just wander into your yard for a minute and I guess Mm -hmm. you don't really know which kind of animals or wildlife they've encountered in between those two spaces. And families frequently have their dogs follow along as they go out to work in the banana plantation or to tend to their livestock. And those animals are are part of their farm, they work. And so again, those animals are really at high risk, especially if they're not vaccinated, which is not a common practice in those areas. Veterinary care just isn't commonly available. And that's part of the reason that those areas and spaces are targeted by Mission Radies to get feet on the ground, vaccines in hand. We go from quote, house to house, and sometimes walking 20 kilometers a day. And we might have 11 teams at a time all out doing the same thing in a concentrated area, trying to get as many dogs and cats vaccinated as we can.
0: You know, for people who have been exposed to these animals who may have contracted rabies, you already described your difficulty in getting the post-exposure prophylaxis when you got bit. Talk a little bit about what that might be like for people living in places like Tanzania.
1: Yeah, it's really, really challenging for them to get post-exposure prophylaxis. Not only does the post-exposure include rabies vaccination, it also includes like a rabies immunoglobulin treatment. And so families simply can't afford it. They can't find the means of transportation to get from their remote areas where they live to a more urban area to receive treatment or post-exposure prophylaxis. As a result, we see a lot of heads of household, like the father figure who may be the primary breadwinner, may be out working and get exposed to rabies by his own pet or another animal in the area. And as a result, if they can't access the post-exposure prophylaxis, that family member may die and ending up leaving that family very devastated financially and emotionally.
0: Yeah. Dr. Torek, what are some of the big takeaway points that you want pet owners to remember?
1: The biggest takeaway is in the US, a majority of our domesticated animals are vaccinated for rabies. And as a result, we have a really low human exposure rate, And we have relatively easy access to post-exposure prophylaxis. So we don't have many deaths from rabies in the United States on a yearly basis. I think when I looked statistically by the CDC, it's like one or two cases a year in humans. In developing countries, very few domesticated animals are vaccinated. There's a high human exposure rate with difficult or limited access to post-exposure prophylaxis, resulting in a large number of human deaths. Compared to the average two human deaths per year in the entire United States, Tanzania has about 1500 human deaths from rabies per oh year. Oh god. So it's exponentially greater. Um, yeah. So it's easy for us to obtain rabies vaccines for our pets in the US and so you know there's been some sort of mixed information about what is an effective rabies vaccine that maybe because my dog is only 3 pounds it should get a half dose and unfortunately that's simply not true. Immunology is based on stimulation of the immune system, and it has nothing to do with our body weight, right? If you think about humans who are receiving a vaccination for the flu or any other illness, me as a relatively petite person and a quite large football player, we're going to get the same shot, right? So don't be misguided or misled about giving a half dose of a rabies vaccine. Don't skip rabies vaccination, right? Rabies vaccines that we have now are really, really safe. They have a very low reactivity rate. And they're, again, almost 100% effective in preventing rabies. And so the reason that our incidence in the United States is so low is because our domestic pet population is so well protected, it's really difficult for wildlife to transmit it to our pets, which means that we as humans are not commonly exposed. So vaccination saves lives.
0: Dr. Torek, I want to give you some time to talk a little bit more about Mission Rabies, because it sounds like this is a group that you had a really great experience working with. And I'd like our pet owners and listeners today to have some more information so that maybe if they're interested in supporting the project, they can reach out.
1: Yeah. So Mission Rabies is a UK-based company. They do vaccination campaigns in quite a few different locations throughout the year. I know this July, they'll be vaccinating in Uganda. There are also campaigns to India, Sri Lanka, Tanzania, Cambodia, and Ghana. This group is really well organized and very easy to communicate and work with. On each campaign, they coordinate with local lodging and local veterinarians and rescue groups to ensure that we have meals, a safe place to sleep. We have interaction with local teams of animal care professionals. They assist us with translation, navigation, and providing the vaccinations themselves, which oftentimes are donated by are commonly sourced vaccine companies. So it was a really fulfilling experience. I really can't wait to go again, regardless of the crazy that happened while I was there. That was coincidental. I still correspond with some of the veterinarians and animal care workers from my trip in 2017. In fact, I sent a message to Jens Wissenbert, who's one of the veterinarians who works with an animal hospital there. Just last night, we, we sent messages. So It's just great to see all of these people from all parts of the world really cohesively working together to eradicate rabies in these developing countries. It's just an honor to be part of their team.
0: It sounds like it was a overall really amazing experience for you. I'm glad you got that support network that you built while you were there and you still keep in touch with everybody. If you can send me some information on where people can reach out to Mission Rabies, and I'll have that posted in the show notes so that pet owners can get more information there. And maybe if they want to make some donations to Mission Rabies, they can certainly go ahead and do that. It's a a wonderful cause.
1: Well, they also invite non-veterinarians to participate in the trip. In fact, some of the veterinarians that I worked with when I was there had brought a spouse or an adult child with, and so you don't have to have any previous veterinary medical knowledge to be a capable pair of hands to help out.
0: Wow, that's amazing. There you go. If you're looking for a unique experience and a way to give back in the world, Mission Rabies might be a good fit for you. Is there anything more you want to talk about regarding your potential rabies exposure with St. Patrick?
1: Yeah. So it just made me really acutely more aware of the risk that we as vets and vet nurses encounter on a daily basis. I mean, we don't get bit often, but we do get bit. Unfortunately, it's part of our jobs and it's not a pleasant part of the job. But that increased risk is, especially with animals of unknown origin, was really driven home for me with that experience. So it's made me a bit more cautious. makes my reflexes a little faster. (laughs) Mm you know. But the same could be said about animal control officers, local sheriffs, police departments. They're often responsible for catching or containing these stray pets until an owner or shelter space can be secured. So it's not just veterinarians and vet nurses and people in our profession who are potentially exposed. We also have some other public servants who are in that line daily. So I guess the moral of the story is that all domestic pets should be vaccinated for rabies. So we can keep this deadly disease from our human population. That spillover is scary. And the more pets that are vaccinated, the fewer chances of it being transmitted to humans.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I strongly agree. So if you want more information about Mission Rabies, about rabies in general, we'll have some links on the website, yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com. You can also see some really great pictures of Dr. Torak from her trip to Tanzania, as well as her playing guitar. Tell me a little bit about your music career.
1: So I actually thought that I was going to start college as a music major. And after about three semesters, I realized it was extremely competitive and no one is happy for your successes because that means they didn't get the part. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I kind of shifted gears a little bit and really refocused on undergrad courses for vet medicine. But I still play out, right? So when I moved to Chicago, I met a group of people who were pretty active in the open mic community. And so I befriended them and began to, you know, play open mics with them routinely, took some lessons, took some classes. I like to say it works the other side of my brain.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is more for you than for an actual career. Yeah. We're going to be talking a little bit more about your experience in Tanzania and what you went through personally. So for those pet owners who want to hear more about this experience and kind of this harrowing health crisis that Dr. Torak went through, please be sure to hit subscribe so that you can listen to the story because that'll be coming up shortly after this rabies episode. I want to take a moment to end the episode with a segment that I call Scratching the Itch. And this is a segment that is designed to highlight something, whether it's a human interest story, a product, a website, whatever it is that just provides relief or makes you feel good, hence Scratching the Itch. Dr. Torak, do you have a Scratching the Itch for our pet owners today?
1: I do. My itch scratcher is scuba diving. So the one thing about animal life that's really difficult to access are animals in the ocean, right? We aren't meant to be underwater that long. So I got scuba certified about 25 years ago and there's really nothing more relaxing than just floating weightlessly in the water and like looking over the horizon of a coral reef. And here comes a great big manta ray or a sea turtle. And they just, (sighs) they just don't care that you're there. It's literally like floating in nothing. I like to be an observer in their world. I like to advocate for increased protection for these special animals, especially sea turtles, because they're endangered. There is an organization called the Turtle Conservancy, and that's an organization that channels all of its efforts and funds into preservation of this endangered species. There's a link included for your reference if you wish to adopt a turtle. My staff adopted a turtle for me for my birthday one year. Oh, that's <laughs> really cute. It was really <laughs> awesome. I like, I got a sticker and Like, (laughs) apparently, some of these turtles that are mostly focused in the Caribbean, in like the Gulf of Mexico, they have trackers on them. And so I could actually watch where my turtle would go and see where its travel patterns were within the space between Florida, Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean islands. Every bit of information we obtain about the species helps us to better protect them from the encroachment of human population and the impacts that our society has on, on wildlife. So Turtle Conservancy is a really great group. Did you give your adopted turtle a name? You know, I think its name was Sally and we didn't really give it a new name. We just said, okay, that's her name. I don't know. Turtles are just amazing creatures. they live for a really long time if we don't mess with them. And so I'd love to see us as humans, give them a little more birth and care.
0: Well, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about rabies today. This is a really important episode and I'm so thankful for you to share your time and your experience with everyone. Thank you very much, Dr. Torak.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: And for everyone listening, I look forward to your next visit with your vet wants you to know.